hit me. From Studio P, Sausalito, home of the hit, it's time for... Suckatash. The number one comedy podcast about comedy... Podcast. And here's your host, internationally recognized comedy podcast commentator, Mark Hershon. Yes, this is Mark Hershon. Finally... Finally back with Succotash. It's been like a month since the last episode. I'm so sorry. Uh, just uh, things have gotten busy. I lost a hard drive again. Well, Engineer Joe lost one, and now I've lost one. Lost some uh, interviews on that. I'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. But um, And just, you know, busyness and in the process of moving. It's crazy. So, uh, But we're back, and uh, once again I will bow to once again try to uh, be a little bit more fastidious when it comes to getting these episodes out. I want to thank all of our uh, friends who uh, listen faithfully and uh, tweet us up, uh, which is uh, very helpful. Our numbers are still going up, which is great. And uh, we got a lot to get to today. Uh, the main body of the show is going to be an interview with a couple of friends of mine who are visiting in San Francisco in January for Sketchfest. So uh, a little bit delayed getting that interview on, but uh, they've got a new movie coming out uh, that's going to be hitting um, some fe- uh, film festivals soon. So uh, I'll tell you more about that as well. But uh, we've got our interview with Kenny Stevenson and Dorian Davies coming up in a little bit. We've got uh, a bunch of clips to play for you as well. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, well, we're doing this show away from Studio P and our engineer producer, Joe Polino, and our announcer, Bill Haywatt, I'm sorry to say, just uh, we can't always get in the studio. It's a busy, busy place, but we will be back there for the next one. So put up with me and my silly little setup here, and uh, next time we're coming to you in glorious Studio P sound. Um, let's see. What else uh, What else do we have going on? Uh, just a, sort of a word about podcasts in general. I've noticed that a lot of podcasts seem to be stepping up their game uh, in the past year, uh, bigger guests, shows coming together under one banner or another, uh, Nerdist is now its own network, Earwolf Network, uh, the Ace Network under Adam Carolla, and there's a lot more as well uh, that are all forming up. It's like uh, somebody decided to pick sides, uh, which is great, uh, but uh, I feel like the, the nerd kid in fourth grade because nobody's asked me to play. Gosh. Uh, Anyway, it doesn't really matter because I don't care if they're with a network or not. I will play you the clips as uh, as they come in or as I find them. And if you find them, let me know what what you're listening to, and we'll uh, we'll give that a listen here on on Succotash. Um, some big guests, though, as I mentioned, uh, you know, Conan O'Brien was recently on the Nerdist. Chris Hardwick spoke with Seth Meyers at SNL. Mark Maron had Bill Maher on over at uh, WTF. Uh, on and on and on, which is just uh, amazing. Uh, we do have a podcast clip today from Dana Gould, who is starting his own podcast. He's been a guest for the last uh, couple of years on other people's podcasts. He's decided to start out his own podcast called The Dana Gould Hour. That'll be coming up shortly. We also have clips from Way Too Hip Radio, The Anti-Semantic Show, Roy and Doodle, Probably Science. Uh, we have a song by comedian Perry Kurtz. And a little bit of political lambasting by our own Will Durst. A couple other surprises. Uh, and um, what else can I tell you? Let's uh, let's get started, okay? Let's pass that succotash. We're going to start with uh, 
the guys over at Way Too Hip Radio, Lionhearted Lab Rat. Uh, I promised them several episodes ago I would get a clip on the show. They've been very kind to me. I did an interview with Lionheart back when I was first starting Suckatash, and uh, I just kind of haven't followed up on my commitment. I promised them they would have poll position. So here's the first clip from Way Too Hip Radio. Wholly disappointed in The Walking Dead. I just want to go back to that for one second. No, I don't blame you. I was, I was really excited that they're going to, you know, do something good in this episode. It's like the second half of the season. We finally got through that fucking little girl, that little fucking girl scenario thing going on. I was disappointed by the first half of the season. That's what I'm saying. And this second half is looking like a whole lot more of the same. And you know what? I, I wasn't 100%. I see where they're going with it, and it's still just going to be just as boring. I wasn't 100% disappointed. I like the... I like the I like the end of the first season. I thought it could have been done in like three episodes instead of six, but I, I didn't mind it. But I understand that it's not it's not as fast paced as it should be, and it's not a lot of action for a zombie show. You know what I'm saying? Like, like more stuff could definitely be happening. Yeah, I don't know. Like, you I, don't even have the occasional zombie just wandering in and getting shot by them or something. Like just something. You know, you literally don't have most of the time. They're just like, oh my god, what's that noise? It's just one of them walking around. Like what, what I wouldn't have done is taken it out of the city into the fucking country. I would have just taken it to different parts of Atlanta. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, go down, go downtown to Atlanta, like, where that, uh, well, you couldn't, but did you where they almost killed, almost killed that gay guy outside of the shopping did you, center. Did you hear the way, because the guy that originally started the show, he's not on the show anymore. Because he had a difference with the, with the producers and shit. Oh, I don't blame him. Um, because he wanted it, he wanted to do all this stuff, and I read his scenario, the way he wanted to start season two. Yeah. It was fucking amazingly dope. Well, I mean, it was like ridiculously dope, and they were like, "No, it's too expensive." So he was left with, you know, oh, so what we're gonna do is that, that all it is. People that don't know, I was reading about this. All it is is they have no budget anymore because AMC doesn't want to pay that much. Right. So that's why the whole fucking show is taking place on a farm and not doing anything else. Like if you look at the show, there's literally seven actors in the entire fucking series. Right. You know, and it's just like, right. oh, really? Like. Shigar, being the ultimate nerd, says, I wish it followed the comic book. Yeah. Shut up, nerd. It's not The problem with it is not that it doesn't nerd. follow the comic It could not follow the comic book. It'd still be good. Okay. Yeah. But no, he also says true. it's good. He says, what is the problem with Walking Dead? Well, it's no problem. Slow. It's, it's just retardedly slow. Like, it's not. The problem is you have to be able to keep people's attention. And it doesn't because it's so – people keep watching it now because they're expecting something good to happen. The first season had much more action than this season does. Right. The first season, you saw – like there was stuff – in every episode, you were kind of left with a cliffhanger. This season, you were not. You were not left Think with – Think of all the things that happened in the first season. There was – hello. Call. You're on Way Too Hip Radio. Hello? Hey. Hey. Is this Lior? Yes. We could just say that when you come on. What's up? Nothing, I want to talk about The Walking Dead. But okay. you finish your rant first. It sucks. <laughs> no, I was just saying, though, in the, first, in the first season, there was a lot of stuff that happened. I, I've been thinking about, back on it, there was stuff that happened that was like, it could have been really good, but they did it so fast. But that whole area where there's like a retirement home with people living in the city and there's Mexican Well, I was just saying that there was other people, yeah, but they weren't. It was just like the janitor and shit. That was the thing is you'd run across people who were just completely out of place because the world had been completely turned on its head and you just didn't know what was happening. Right. And the thing is... And people were having to do things totally out of character to survive. That's why the show would be better if they stayed in the city. If they didn't go to the country... Well, the show would be better if they moved. Just stop staying in that fucking farm. Just get off the fucking farm. 
All right, that's uh, Lionheart and Lab Rat on Way Too Hip Radio. They are, I say radio because they are actually live uh, on the internet um, on Monday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, so you can catch them once a week. And then if you miss the show, you can always find them at waytoohip.com and also on iTunes, so thank you guys for your support. Uh, a couple of things uh, where you can find us. Um, uh, normally, uh, I take care of this earlier in the show, or Bill Haywatt takes care of it, but I don't have Bill this week. Uh, so please remember that not only are we on whatever you're listening to right now, uh, we're also uh, on the web at SuccotashShow.com. We're on iTunes. We're also on Stitcher, uh, which is Stitcher Smart Radio for your smartphone. You can get that for either the iPhone or your Android device or your iPad and uh, give us a listen there, as well as uh, hundreds and hundreds of other fabulous podcasts, or I guess they're called Stitchcasts. No, I'm making that up. Uh, also, if you want to uh, read my thoughts, I am uh, part of a review squad over at This Week in Comedy Podcasts on SplitCider.com, and that goes up every Thursday. So check that out if you want to find out more about what's going on in the world of comedy podcasting. Uh, let's see, we have, uh, we have merchandise. I think I mentioned that in the last podcast. We have, uh, our web store is up and, uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. And, uh, what else? Uh, donate button. We have a donate button where listeners supported, uh, I'll tell you more about that later. And, uh, well, the rest of the stuff I'll talk about later. Let's uh, get back to the clips. As I mentioned, Dana Gould, uh, has his own podcast now, and normally when a new podcast comes on the scene, I like to wait for a few episodes to give it some a chance to kind of shake out, give it uh, some legs uh, before I put it up on Succotash, but the Dana Gould Hour debuted just a few shows ago, and not only is he incredibly funny, both as a stand-up and as a writer, some of you may recognize his name from the credits of a little show called The Simpsons, from back when it was Drop Dead Hilarious. Uh, but Dana's a guy I've also known since he first moved to San Francisco to get into stand-up from the Boston area way back in the uh, the late 80s. His guest on his second show is another very funny comedian writer, Ed Krasnick, who I also happen to know from way back in the day when I used to book the Punchline Comedy Club here in San Francisco. Well, that's my story. Here's theirs. My mother took me to see uh, Summer of 42 and Clute <laughs> on a double feature. I was like 11. Uh-huh. And she had no idea what it was. People just went to movies. Yeah. There was no rating system. It was, it was a little weird. I saw The Graduate when I was nine. Nine. I was three when it came out, but it was on TV when I was nine, and I remember watching it, not knowing what it was about. But I was very excited because I knew that during it, there would be a commercial for Planet of the Apes that was coming on soon. <laughs> that movie, The Graduate, if you watch it now, this is the message. It's so funny. People talk about the baby boom generation. They changed the country. And this was one of the flagship movies that spoke for that generation. Right. Here's the message of The Graduate. You can have any girl you want, even if you fucked her mother. You just have to stalk her enough. I guess that that's true. <laughs> he I did. He, she says, get away from me. So he follows her to school. He just stalks her down. Right. So he really wears her movie. down. Now, when you watch it now, it's like, this isn't good. I had... Years ago, an over-enthusiastic fan, uh, and I ended up having to talk to Gavin DeBecker about it, and who said the graduate is one of the key problems that they have because a lot of people just thought that's how you do it. If you love somebody, you just got to hunt them down. Wow. Stick-to-itiveness. That's amazing. And then I think Buck Henry, I don't know, you know, maybe Uncle Al, the kitty's pal. I don't, <laughs> it all kind of ties together, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. 
That's funny that you're talking about the sketch on Saturday Night yeah, Live. Yeah, yeah. Of all the things on Saturday Night Live, those were the ones that nowadays it's so completely wrong. For those of you who don't remember, in the original 76, 77, 78, he played a pedophile the uncle pedophile. that would come to babysit <clears throat> and <laughs> completely like <laughs> – and now as you watch it on the DVD, you're like, this is fucking horrifying. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it is amazing that they got away with that. How times have changed and attitudes. Alex Bennett, your friend and mine, sure. radio host, and I will say internet radio pioneer. Oh, yeah. He really did. In the late 80s, early 90s, say this is all going to be online in 15 years. Wow. He and, was yeah, prescient. He did. No, yeah, he was, he was very, smart. He was very, very prescient. Mm-hmm. Um, Buck Henry and Alex Bennett were friends in New York, and Alex told a story. In New York in the 70s, they're at a slave auction at a and d club. <laughs> and most people would stop right there. But no. Right. And somebody in that garb comes up to them and says, are you Buck Henry? And Buck Henry says, not tonight. (laughs) I had, on my 30th birthday, my girlfriend at the time, not my wife, but a very good friend of my wife's, um, took me to a bar on Santa Monica Boulevard uh, that was an S&M bar to get spanked for my birthday. Okay. And I said, I probably shouldn't be here. I'm on the TV. Yeah. And she said quite intelligently, who here would care? And I said, <laughs> good point. Wow. So there I was uh, getting uh, professionally flogged for my birthday. Uh, and my girlfriend at the time was standing facing me. And uh, a couple came up. The guy looked like Trent Reznor and the girl looked like Trent Reznor. <laughs> and uh, they, they walked up like literally like three inches from my face. And the guy went, oh, my God, you're Dana Gould. You're like our favorite comedian. <laughs> and I was like, well, hi. And I was like, Wow. Nice to meet you. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) And yet when my parents hit me, I did not get erect. Not one time. It's interesting that that the way that family just doesn't do it for you. So that's Dana Gould with guest Ed Krasnick. Um, That's from their second show. Uh, Dana should have a third show up by... um, by the time you hear this, maybe. You can find him at DanaGould.com, also on iTunes. And I will bet it's not very long before he gets snapped up by one of those developing networks I've already talked about. Uh, and bully for him. He should. He's a very talented guy. Speaking of Dana's, um, I was uh, having lunch with Dana Carvey, who's been a guest a couple of times on this show. And uh, his uh, his cousin, Frank Cronin, who I've been referring to occasionally as our Irish correspondent, is coming through San Francisco in March this month in a couple of weeks. And I'm hoping to get him live in the studio uh, along with Mr. Carvey again. So uh, hopefully uh, we'll have that going on. And I may have uh, have Frank act as a translator for a show I really like uh, over <laughs> over in Ireland from, uh, from Belfast, the G&J show. Uh, and... Um, uh, it's uh, the brogue is so thick. Some people have trouble understanding it. So I thought it'd be funny to get Frank in here and have him uh, sort of do a running translation of what's being said. So I'll let you know if that's coming up. I'll tell you what's coming up right now is a clip from Probably Science. Uh, this is three guys. They build themselves as three professional comedians and incompetent scientists. Matt Kirshen, Brooks Whelan, and Andy Wood are your guides in a new podcast called Probably Science. Now, I, I actually reviewed Probably Science on Splitsider 
a couple of weeks ago. So if you want to hear a little bit more about what I thought about them, you can read that there. Uh, there's always a guest on the show, or there seems to be. They're only up to like show nine. This is from show seven. Their guest is uh, comedian Kyle Kinane. And uh, for some guys that don't know a whole lot about science, they know a lot about comedy. So give a listen to Probably Science. I don't even know how you can tell to look at a snake. And I used to like snakes. The gender, maybe all they can do is tell by the estrogen. But it said in the study, the male snakes were implanted with a small capsule that raised their estrogen level to about that of female snakes. And after one year of that estrogen supplementation, the male snakes exuded a pheromone that caused other males to swarm to them and form the writhing mating balls that this oh, species man, of garter snake is known for. I've seen those, dude. They just all, they, it's like a huge snake orgy. They just like entangle and writhe around. And I'm always like, I would love to stomp on them. I'm not mature enough to get past the <laughs> mating phrase balls. mating balls. Yeah. I'm not a grown-up. No, that's why I had to read that part verbatim. Yeah, mating oh, balls. I did, I did see two snakes. Like, I don't know how snakes do it. Yeah, mating balls, I guess. They writhe up together, and I don't know. That, but then I but finally that, saw two. I, I think it was rattlesnake, but they were, like, like spiraled together, just going crazy. I was like, look at but that. But something must yeah. go into something. that, like Just going, oh, they Some, make a ball. is like what yeah. you tell a kid about how babies right, are made. Right, well, yeah. it's just a special cuddle. Yeah. They just, mommy and daddy do a cuddle, and then babies happen. Yeah, it's <laughs> like a dry hump, you know? What are they doing there? Yeah. <laughs> they, they put on a movie and get under a blanket. <laughs> and just mating balls. And nine yeah. months later, you've got a sister. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking, you saw so you saw you saw two snakes doing it. Well, that's right. I didn't know if they were fighting or doing it. Oh, okay, I don't which is really how every mating process right, yeah. works. That would be weird. Are they fighting? I mean, there's no sensual way to do it. It's like it always looks like things are fighting. <laughs> right, right. Not when I do it. It's very <laughs> <laughs> loving. God, I just edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess they did this study. Um, and the area where they do it is a natural wonder, scientists say, because uh, every spring, tens of thousands of snakes emerge from these limestone caves north of Manitoba, Canada, in an intense competition to mate. And it actually, according to this article on ScienceDaily.com, uh, it attracts hordes of tourists. So people <laughs> do want to come see these giant mating balls, I guess. And this is where they did the study. Giant mating balls. Yeah. Does anyone else see an opportunity for a probably science field trip? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Manitoba. Man. Check on Priceline. I went up, I went up uh, camping in Canada one time like with my uh, grandparents, and they were like, I was like, I don't want to camp in the woods with snakes. And they were like, there's no snakes in Canada. And that's what they told me. I was like, oh, okay, I'm fine to go then. They all stop with that. Nope. Only we'll, political line. When we were there, it's I... like football or yeah. something. They don't, they don't celebrate. Yeah, the second, the second they cross from New York to Toronto, someone blows a whistle. Yeah. Yeah, that's enough. Too well, far. I kicked, well, no, I, I kicked a stump over, and there was like hundreds of snakes in the stumps. And I was like, you've lied to me. Just ran <laughs> screaming like I couldn't sleep anymore. All right. Uh, so that's Probably Science. Find them at probablyscience.com. Also on iTunes. Let's get into the tweet sack. First off, a big thank you to everyone who's been visiting SuccotashShow.com and has clicked the donate button because we are, after all, listener supported. Now, I know we have ads from time to time from Henderson's Pants, but let's be honest, those people, they don't pay us anything. And so far we've had, drumroll please, please, uh, I forgot, damn it, we're not in the Studio P for this show. No, no Studio P, no Joe, no Joe, no sound effects. Oh, well. And we've had precisely two, that's right, two 
donations. The most recent one comes from the UK, from Benjamin Pierce. So thank you so very much, Ben. That's great. Um, you know what? I think maybe if I start to tell you what I'm planning to use the donation money for, it might prompt you to want to donate. Because here's the deal. I have this external hard drive that went kablooey on me. And there's a couple of really great comedian interviews on that drive. And so far, I've been unable to get them off. Now, I took it into to Best Buy, to the Geek Squad, and they could find out enough to tell me they believe that the, the data is intact and on the drive, but they cannot get to it. They're too lame. Uh, but they did suggest a place that's near here where they can do it. They said these people can retrieve anything off any hard drive, even if it's busted in half. Uh, but their price is a thousand bucks. So, uh, there you go. Let's, uh, what I want to do is start, um, what do I call this? Uh, uh, it's the Succotash Save Our Hard Drive drive. That's it. And we need just another $988 and we're there. So, uh, I'll have a running tote board, uh, rush to SuccotashShow.com, click the donate button and uh, donate to the Succotash Save Our Hard Drive drive, and we can resuscitate those lost interviews. Next up, I want to give a shout-out and a thank you to friend of the show, Mary Bernstein in Maryland. She's uh, She FFs us a lot on Twitter, and she's the first to buy a Succotash t-shirt. Yay! It's a baseball jersey, actually, and I told her that if she would wear it and take her picture and then use it as her Twitter avatar, I would send her a free Succotash coffee cup. So she did, and I did, and now you can go up to Twitter and follow at Mary Elizabeth B, and that's two H's at the end of Elizabeth, Mary Elizabeth B, and you will see her sporting the Succotash. That's right. Uh, we got a call into the Succotash hotline from Ken Howard, the president of the Screen Actors Guild. Now, not intentionally, but the number for the hotline happens to also be the same number that I'm listed uh, with under uh, SAG. I'm a member of the Screen Actors Guild, see? And there's a big uh, 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 merger that's uh, in the offing between SAG and the American Federation of Radio and uh, Television and Radio Artists after it. So SAG has been doing some robo-calling to get out the vote. Uh, I figure I'll take advantage of that. Here's the former star of TV's The White Shadow. Hi, this is SAG President Ken Howard reminding you to make sure and vote on the merger of SAG and AFTRA. If you're like me, you'll be voting yes, because bringing actors into one union gives us more strength at the bargaining table. SAG-AFTRA will be the most powerful entertainment union in the industry, but it will only happen if you vote yes. So find your ballot package, take a look at the materials, and then join me and your national board in voting yes. Thanks. Thank you, Ken Howard. I didn't even know you were a listener. That's fantastic. Uh, all right, one more clip, and then we'll get into part one of my interview with Kenny Stevenson and Dorian Davies. Here's uh, Royal and Doodle. Yes, it's Angus Doodle and Tommy Royal. They're from England, and they are already loyal supporters of Succotash, even though, as they pointed out today on Twitter, we've not played them on the show yet. Well, here's their debut, and you won't believe they're British when you hear this clip I picked out because of their segment called Redneck Sports. here at the Louisiana Bayou for today's magic installment of Redneck Sports. Are you all right there, Billy Ray? I thought you were going to say the main event. 
I was going to say the main event, but I changed my mind at the last minute. That's my prerogative. Is it not the main event? It still is the main event, but I changed my mind to say it. But we're here doing magic. We are doing magic. Anyways. Hey, really? <laughs> yeah. Louisiana Bayou. The only magic I've ever seen you do is when you made your mother disappear after you raped her. Oh, that's nasty. That's damn nasty. It was nasty. You made me film it. Hey, <laughs> you gotta have some video for YouTube, you know what I'm saying. Anyway, let's get back to the sport. Today, we are covering the world finals of... Ah, what are we covering? Oh, you don't know what we're covering. I don't even think this is a sport. What are we doing here? No, it's extreme noodling. Damn, yeah, you boys out there, you know what noodling is. Well, this is extreme noodling. Just let me put you in the picture for you boys that don't know what noodling is. Noodling is when you get your redneck, he sticks his arm in the bayou, under a rock, and he sees what fucking bites him. And it could be a fish, it could be a crock, who knows, but this is extreme noodling. What you got to say to that, Billy Ray? I think, goddamn, I made a mistake. I thought we were here racing French dogs. No, 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 that's extreme poodling. Oh, goddamn. Totally different sport. That's where you dress your poodle up in extreme clothing. Yeah, well, we don't cover that. That's not one of the sports on our agenda, I can tell you that now. Okay, what are we doing then? What's the rules of this game? Rules of this game, okay. It's like, uh, instead of dipping the hand in the water under a rock, they got a cave, right? And that's, that's like your mother. That's like my mother, and that's a homemade cave. It's a bit of a prop, you know? And they got a curtain in front of the cave, and the redneck, he's going to go in there, and he's going to stick his arm in and see what's in there. What do you reckon to that, man? Do you think that's a good idea? I don't think that's a good idea, but these boys think it's a good idea, because that's what they're going to do. That's a goddamn waste of a curtain, because only posh folk have curtains. Yeah, exactly. We stole them from somewhere. They probably got them from, you know, a bring by sale, something like that. We just put good old-fashioned American plywood on our <laughs> windows. Fly on the windows. That's the way I like it. <laughs> it keeps out the hurricanes as well. You don't want those tornadoes coming in and ripping your ply off, because that ply's not cheap. No, we don't. Anyway, I think that's enough of the preamble, because I think the world... What's the preamble? I don't know. Is he the champion? No, that's what it says on my script. It says preamble. Oh, okay. I don't even know what that means. I think that was before amble. Once upon a time, there was uh, some... So are we into the amble now? Once upon a time, there was an amble, and then there was a preamble, and we've done the preamble, so I think we're in the amble now. Who knows? God damn, you've developed a stutter, man. <laughs> That's because I've been drinking whiskey. Tonight, we are brought to you with whiskey rather than beer, which is a bit of a uh, thingy for us. <laughs> it's a, a bit of a thingy. Yeah, a bit of a change, maybe? A bit of a change. You think it's a bit of a change? <laughs> yeah, change. That's yeah. a hard word. I don't hard. like change. No, change. Change is as good as the rest, I apparently. stick to things I'm used to. Yeah. I stick to my sister, fucking her. I stick to my mother, fucking her. And I stick to Annie Louise. I fuck her as well. Annie Louise, that's my sister. Yeah. Hey, Joe, my brother. Yeah. Okay, that's alright. And? Why are you calling her Annie? Because she's my Annie as well. Oh, okay, I gotcha. Anyway, this, they say change is as good as a rest, but personally, I prefer a rest. Find those lads at Royal, R-O-Y-A-L, and Doodle, D-O-O-D-A-L-L, dot podbean, dot com, or on iTunes. All right. Got a couple more clips to play after this upcoming interview, so stay tuned for the Anti-Semantic Show, Snitch and Linz, and our Burst of Durst. And during the break in the interview, I've got a musical treat from comedian Perry Kurtz that's burning up YouTube. After just three weeks, he's got almost 950,000 hits. That's right, and it's all coming up on Succotash. But first, here's my chat from a month or so ago. 
yes, it's time for Succotash, uh, an outdoor version of Succotash on the streets of San Francisco. We're actually in uh, uh, Washington Park, Washington Square Park, in the uh, shadow of Peter and Paul Church. It's a beautiful Sunday afternoon, and I am here with Dorian Davies and Kenny Stevenson, my guests and uh, friends of mine. Hi, guys. They are, Do you remember the show Streets of San Francisco? With like, Michael Douglas. With Michael Douglas and yeah. Jack Klugman. <laughs> no, Carl Walden. Right, Jack yeah. Klugman. Whatever. <laughs> I loved that show. Streets of San Francisco was a good one. Anyway. They are visiting from Los Angeles, California. Yes. And uh, they've been up here for Sketchfest. Uh, Kenny was performing uh, just last night. Yes, at the Dark Room. At the Dark with, Room uh, Theater. My group, Oh Brother. Uh, we are a, uh, a mod team, is what it's called. One of the house sketch teams at the UCB Theater in Los Angeles. Uh, that stand for modular? What no, it's really because like Harold. Uh, oh. The improv teams, and so mod are the sketch teams. Get it? It's oh, clever. I get see. It? It's clever. I get it. I just didn't get and the spelling. So, <laughs> please feel free to follow us on. <laughs> just get the plugs out of the way. Sure. Oh, uh, at Oh Brother Comedy. And we're on Facebook. You can like us. Okay. Us. All right. So we'll just start. Pretty much everything you name, we'll plug from here on out. That sounds good. Um, <laughs> so, so you're up here for Sketchfest, uh, and uh, your lovely wife Dorian uh, is. Uh, you weren't actually performing. You were just. You were here supporting. No, I have to say, <laughs> I love this. I love this Sketch Festival so much because we've done it. We've done it a couple times. In the past, we've done it together. We've actually. done it together, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yes, in uh, another format of like all the sketch festivals. San Francisco is my favorite, um, and I loved it. And I knew that like uh, when Kenny did this the showcase for Cole and to potentially come here, he like had to miss one of my best friend's birthdays. Really? And he was like, "Oh, I, I'm going to miss this showcase." And I said, "What are you talking about? You're going to miss this showcase. You don't have to come to this party. You go to that showcase. I want to go to San Francisco." Yeah. Yeah. And it worked out. I was surprised that that happened. He was surprised. I was like, oh, I can't do the showcase, guys. Well, I mean, it's like, if he does a showcase for, like, Chicago or Toronto or, you know, somewhere else, it's it's like, or or New York, like, those places to me are, like, they're great. It's great fun. It's like a vacation. Whereas, like, when we come to San Francisco, we know people here. Lots of people from L.A. come up here. It's, It's actually... Like, it's really fun, but it's actually kind of a work trip. Like, you can do lots of good, you know, networking yeah, stuff. And, sure. and it also, you know, just, it feels like a, a really nice place to be at this time of year. Yeah. It is. Can you just burp to the microphone? Oh, that's a wonderful brunch before we start this podcast. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, oh, there's a man in a, to- in a hat and a cane and a tuxedo. <laughs> a red tuxedo. Yeah, I hope he doesn't come over here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Stop it, stop it. He's coming over here. <laughs> So that's why you're up in San Francisco, yeah, but we like uh, it. it's the to, best. Uh, to introduce our Succotash listeners to, uh, to each of you individually, uh, Dorian, we'll start with you. Yes. Uh, you are an actress. I am. You are a sketch comedian. I, I've been known to do that. You're an improviser. I like that. And yes. a puppeteer. And a puppeteer. I guess um, uh, the puppetry thing is not something that I've ever actually... <laughs> <laughs> gotten paid for um <laughs> like uh so it's just for the love of the puppets <laughs> yeah, it's me and my weird little dolls like people who don't know me will come into the house and be like why are there are those puppets like we have <laughs> we have like puppets on the on the walls basically it's that um uh kenny and i have 
friends, uh, like a few contacts over at the, Hen- the Henson Company in uh, their show, Stuffed and Unstrung. It used to be called Pep It Up. Uh-huh. And, um, and I was asked to, as an improviser, to train and learn Henson-style puppetry and um, do their improvised puppet show. And so it's a very, like, tight-knit community. So it's there. hard to break in. Sort of, yeah. I mean, people are like, "How do I get into that?" And I'm like, well, you, "You can't. Like, it's yeah. like a, it's like a job that it's I like got voice, hired It's for. like voiceover work. It's like it's exactly like that. It, I would say it's even more competitive than voiceover work because it, there's just like such a small community of puppeteers. Yeah. And so for the last three and a half years, I've been, you know, on and off doing like their workshops, and I have yet to do a show, but. Uh, it's picking up a lot now and they're going to need multiple casts and like I'm actually probably going to get to do a show which is is exciting yeah Uh, Kenny you've also picked up some some puppeting yes puppeteering puppeteering yes a little bit I'm not as good as my wife I do do it but you're you are an actor yes you're a sketch comic improviser absolutely Uh, have you ever done stand up I have done stand up Um, I did some in college uh huh and then I um, stopped doing it because I liked improv more. I kind of liked the idea of kind of, I feel like one of my strengths as a comedian is being able to work off of someone. Yes. And like I didn't, the thing I found frustrating of being a stand-up was doing material one night that would kill and then do it the next night and it'd be crickets. It's like, wait, what? This, this is good material. Which I guess now, after I was a young kid and I was dumb, but after years doing sketch too, that same thing happens. So sure, I've all I've every time I go see someone do stand up, I'm always like, why am I not doing this? I should be doing this, and I write jokes every now and again. So maybe at some point I will do it again, but I don't know. It scares me. Stand up scares me. It, it can be frightening yeah. uh, from that regard that you never know. You know, until you really know your act and really know that it works in front of a variety of audiences, yeah. it's really hard to try, kind of plan on. Oh, this evening's going to go well. And even even if you've been doing it for twenty years, you, there's still nights where you just go, "Wow, this just isn't working." Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it's the whole idea too, with you know trying to do stand up again, is that like. You really have to do it. Like stand-up's the kind of thing. Like you have to, you have to really get out there, do, muscle, yeah. do your routine. Like take any show you can get and just get in front of it. And it's like I don't really have that desire to do that right now or the time to do like six nights a week of shows. It's not sure. It's not possible. But maybe I don't know. It also seems to me, and you know, I'm sure I'm gonna get a lot of shit for this. It seems Uh-oh. it seems to me to be a little bit more of like a selfish kind of art form because. When you're doing improv, you're just constantly sharing and constantly looking outside of yourself. Unless you're probably really good at working with the audience or like really sensing like what they're liking. And it stand-up seems to me to be like more um, presentational. Well, I don't think you get shit for it. I think any stand-up comic would agree with you. Um, yeah. Years ago, I was directing an improv group at, at what was the uh, Santa Monica Improv, and more than half my group was made up of stand-ups who also did improv, and it was a very competitive form of improv. I've never seen improv like it before, because <laughs> everybody wanted to get that laugh. They all wanted to be the guy who had the button on the joke. Plus, to be honest, I mean, like, you know, when it comes to, even though, like, it's shifted, it's not, we're no longer in a, like, Hollywood's no longer a place where... You know, they're waiting to give, you know, the stand-up his own show, like Seinfeld, and it's those sitcom things aren't coming anymore, but it's still, like, stand-up is, it's you, it's just you, so whereas, like, you try to get 
a manager or someone Comedy Central to come see you. They're just going to see you. Yes. They're not going to see you and your group yeah, it, perform. And, you, and it's easier it's to go to festivals well, and stuff when you're by yourself and you don't have to coordinate like course. a whole bunch of I mean, of even if you look at comedy duos, uh, you know, their, their one complaint was we're always having to split the money. And that's just splitting it two ways. Yeah. You know, you have six or seven people. All of yeah. a sudden, it's not even worth talking honest, about the money. The money in the money improv. And improv. <laughs> It's just off the wall. It's, it's so much money amazing. in improv. It's crazy. Well, it's second only to the money in podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> can I say that? You can. <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, that's why we're, you guys don't know this, but we're sitting in a cabana in the middle of Washington Square Park. <laughs> and we're being fanned while we drink Cristal. Garcon, can you get me, can you refill? Thank you. Uh, actually, I wish somebody could take a picture of the three of us. We're sitting on a tree stump. <laughs> there's no benches or tables available. We're sitting on a tree stump. San Francisco, man, get into it. I mean, I have to say, this is the prettiest podcast I've ever, <laughs> I've ever shot. Um, but you guys also uh, have been through the Groundlings. That's where you guys met. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what was that experience like? Do you want to take this? Share this. We can share this. You kick it off. Well, we, met, we met at the Groundlings, and I have to say, like, Groundlings is incredible training mm-hmm. it's incredible training like I think that sometimes some you know sketch and improv training facilities pass people along when they're not ready and the Groundlings is notorious for not passing people along sure. and and I think that because of that you know if, if you are lucky enough to move along you, you I mean, you meet people that are just like, oh man, this person is exciting. You know, this talent is exciting, and and their their skills are really honed and really well crafted, and they have great teachers. And I think um, I remember the first time I went there, I saw um, the Crazy Uncle Joe show. That was the first groundling show that I had seen. Which technically, isn't like I guess a groundling show. Uh-huh. Um, it's not like a main company show, but it's long form improv, and it's like a clap in style and. I saw um, Christian Sesson on stage in these overalls, like doing this roguish Scottish thing and just like talking about haggis. But it wasn't cliched, it was just so funny. And I remember like lights and bells and whistles going off and being like, these are my people. Like, there's a woman being super funny and owning it and not having to be pretty, you know, because Hollywood is notorious for like, girls have to be pretty, girls have to be pretty. And it's like, fuck that. And so do the boys. Boys have to be pretty, <laughs> and uh, it just—it was—it was. I felt like, oh, these are my people. You know, yeah, it was yeah. that was that moment, and then you know, I met my husband there, which was awesome, yes. and then you know, and he's pretty. He's really pretty, <laughs> sort. I mean, you know, he has his own. <laughs> and then we met like all our friends through there. A lot of our friends were there, and I just think it was a really great resource. Of course, you get to that point where you know you're no longer welcome for the most part, and it's and it's and it's sad and it's hard. But at the same time, I would never change my experience. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you don't know how it works. Basically, it's, there's four levels of the school. Mm-hmm. The first two levels are strictly improv. You have to get passed on by your teacher through ups and. First two levels are improv. The third level is called writing lab, which is where you learn to write monologues and scenes. And then you either pass or fail that one. And if you fail, you're done. You don't get to take any more classes. Really? If you pass, you go on to the fourth level, which is advanced. Like, wow. no more classes. Yeah. Really? Like, That's you're it. no longer, yeah. well, like, wow. you can't even, like... <laughs> that is, wow. Right out of the show. And then advanced is you do two shows. And 
if you don't pass advanced, you're also done. But you're not, you don't pass advanced by the vote of your teacher. You, the entire main the company votes on cast you. On you. No so it's, a, a, it's like a secret ballot kind wow. of thing. And then if you pass advanced, you get into what's called the Sunday Company, which I did for a year. And the Sunday Company is six months, like sort of cycles. So you do six months, after six months, you get voted on again, and you wow. either get renewed or you get voted out and if you get voted out you're done so yeah um nice. uh you do and the most you can do is a year and a half and some people have, have been asked to stay longer if there's no space very, in the main company but that's there's very rare, rare but usually it's the most you can do is a year and a half after a year and a half you're either a groundling or you're done so that's why the play it's it's a really great facility for for training and fighting when we were doing it like back in the early 2000s because we're old Early 2000. When did you start? I don't know. 2000. I started in 2003, and you were before me, so that's early 2000s. Oh. So anyway. Sorry. When we started, there wasn't, you know, there was only I.O., and Second City was there, but it's Second City in L.A. has never really been as strong as it's been in Chicago. And I.O. was... Uh, I.O. was pretty good, but it was basically either I.O. or Groundlings. It wasn't the UCB. But that's was in, not, for people that don't know, that's Improv Olympic. Yeah, right? it's, yeah. An Acme Theater, which was started by some Groundlings spin-off people who got frustrated yes. that they couldn't stay in the system. <laughs> yes. So, but it was like, when back in that time, it was like, if you were... I remember, I remember at the time, I, before I moved back, I'm from California, I was in New York, and it was, I'm either going to stay in New York and take BCB classes, I'm going to go to L.A. and take the Groundlings. And that's, like, literally what it was. a lot of people did. And then UCB came and to And now the UCB Angeles. came to L.A., and so now they're in huge competition with each other. But that's for a, your Improv Comedy Battle podcast. Yes. We can say that. That's not talking about it, no. <laughs> But I will say as a whole, the theater is... I always tell people, like, always just go, go take the first two classes and then see what happens. Because you can take the first two... And you can pass, and if you're good at improv, you can get to the improv, and then do stuff while you're waiting. You just have to wait. There's like a wait to take the third level. Yeah, like up to like a really? year really? and a half, yeah. yeah, between lab and like advanced. Wow. And now so, you have to audition so out of totally lab in addition to passing. Yeah, I mean, so it's always just it's like, you know, take those classes, take the groundlings classes, and then go take classes at the UCB and everywhere. And so then when you come back to the groundlings and you take advance after a year gone, you have honed your things. And if you, and at that point, hopefully you done some good work and if you get Sunday Company you get it and if you don't whatever you're still doing all kinds of great work and that's what really is important and that's why I think the presence of UCB in LA like I haven't taken classes there personally because I have this I'm just tired of paying people um, uh, but uh, Kenny just kind of like that's why yeah. I steal groceries now yeah I'm tired, tired of paying for the I'm food. tired of paying for classes we live in a cave we live in a cave but like Kenny after like Sunday company ended he was like oh I'm gonna dabble I'm gonna just try to take a class so I can perform at UCB and it's been really amazing because I think that he took like these really like his discipline from the groundlings and then brought it to UCB and UCB is really like they're there's not so much it's there's not so much of a type like UCB is a little bit more accepting of like different kinds of um, talent and uh, whereas the groundlings has like a, a kind of type and I you know even groundlings don't even know how to describe it but mm. but I think it's great because you know you can take your training at the groundlings and move over to UCB and there's so much great opportunity yeah. there it's, yeah. it's fun and so, they're good talent and the, the three of us work together in in sketch in a group called Fries on the Side yes uh, that was together for at uh, Fries on the Side on Twitter 
Yes, please. Check it out. <laughs> also, we should mention at Groundlings and at UCBTLA. Stop. Stop. Everyone knows how to use Google. <laughs> but the Fries on the Side was a, a sketch group that was, I guess, I mean, I came to it about a, uh, right towards the end of its first year. Yes. And it was uh, kind of a spin-off group from uh, a theater, a bunch of the actors Meisner at the yeah, Meisner I Center. The, I was at the first show. And, and it, it wasn't purely sketch at the time, right? There were people would no, do poetry. It started as, a, it started as a, something to do at the end of, like, this was back when the Meisner Center in North Hollywood used to do, or the people in the school, they used to do shows. They were all, like, starring people from the school and directing with people. And so they did it as, like, uh, so it was called Fries on the Side. It was something to put on at the end of Saturday, other Saturday night Show. It should have been called like dessert. Or <laughs> yeah. You don't have you fries have. after your meal. Yeah, and there was some sketches <laughs> and yeah, some poetry. And, like I think someone played the bongos early on. Like it was like that kind of thing. But then it it seemed like the sketches were the only thing that was like really getting really great reactions. And I just kind of slowly morphed into a just a sketch show. Yeah, I I sort of thrust myself into it because I went to see a show because I was friends with a couple of people uh, mm-hmm. that were putting it on. Um, and they said, oh, you got to come check out the show. And you guys were doing the show with the, the sketches with the scripts in hand. Cause there yes. Was, and we didn't get tele... So basically the show is the, the sketches are written during the week and then actors get them two to three hours before the show and then you have like a tech rehearsal it's like blocking. It. blocking yeah. it's yeah. just blocking and then the rest of it is like it's like an interesting combination of improv and, and sketch essentially because you don't really memorize it you don't really have much time you, you have to make a really quick character choice right find out what you've got in your in your like suitcase that maybe sort of fits sort this of character yeah. and then just go and and you know eventually it evolved to teleprompters well yeah and I that's how I got involved was I talked to, to Shane Elliott who's kind of the became sort of the main driver for the show and I said this would be great if they didn't have scripts in their hands and we figured out how to cobble together a teleprompter system using a couple of TV sets and a computer yeah, yeah. which, which uh, I'm telling you the first like, season and <laughs> yeah. a half oh my God. thing broke down oh. so many times oh it was unbelievable yeah so that's so why that's why it's it, it, it kept to its improv roots <laughs> and the, yeah. I have to say one of my one of my one of the things I, now that Price doesn't be going on is, <laughs> anymore the live shows one of the things that I do not miss is prompters are down the Everyone in the green room just being like, oh my god, prompters are down. What are they doing? I don't know. What are they doing? And the lights are like, what are they doing? I remember there was one sketch I did that was like, it's supposed to be like a kid's TV show, like Mr. Happy's Funhouse or something. And it was like me talking to a sock puppet behind the, the couch. And this was like, it was all just, all this dialogue. And I was like, you know, I'll just wait for the prompt. I'll just have an prompter, but I'll, I'll try to get as much of it as I can. And then I sit down, I sit down on the couch and then as I'm sitting down in the black waiting for the lights to come up the prompters go down and the lights come up and it's like and luckily the person who was the playing puppet? the sock puppet like had a script and kind of figured that I didn't there was no prompter there so he kind of like started steering it for me but the best was there had to be like an appearance like somebody had to like knock on the door and come in and it was Scott Hoffman the look on his face he walked in and we made eyes and he didn't know that he saw the prompter off <laughs> he saw my eyes and we had this like moment of like me going to him going like we just we're just going on verbal. We're just saying, like, yeah, this is what's going on. This is we're happening. just doing this right now. <laughs> Thank God I'm not alone like, hey. on stage. 
but he knew his lines, so he like helped me out. Like it was just like, oh, it was just a disaster. Oh my god, the fear. I did not know anything. I knew like the first like like five lines, and it was just like we were just winging the whole thing. The fear, crazy. and the thing is, the audience, like the prompters, are pointed away from the audience, right. so the audience can't see that the prompters are down. That's right. And there's this kind of like moment where the audience is like, something's wrong, but I don't know what, what it is. is. These, the, the actors <laughs> just don't seem to know their lines. There's I guess. oftentimes where the, the, I remember people <laughs> in like, the audience would, would say that they didn't, couldn't even tell they were there. Yeah. We got really good. Oh, yeah, no, they were great. There were just two, two prompters on the lower corners of the stages, yeah. uh, the stage. And the funny thing was, when scenes went dark, they never quite went dark because the prompters were always yeah. on. So there, but that's great for, like, scenes. I have yeah. to say, at the end of, like, the eighth season, the tech had gotten so, like, so savvy that they would darken the prompter screens in the blackout. And to the point that we'd be like, okay, there's no scared. running lights. Yes. Like, how would we... We couldn't even yeah. see the stage, you know, because we were so, used, so spoiled to, like, having the prompters yeah. always on. There's always this, like, split second where you're like, are they going to come up? Are they going to come up? Oh, there they are. Great. Oh, yes. God. Oh, I know. terrifying. Every time like, you walk on stage. Legitimately, like... But I think I think there was a I mean it was a unique experience from that regard and I think it probably is somewhat helpful in terms of you know what do you do when all of a sudden yeah. the thing you were depending on isn't there yeah and the show still has to go and you you have to pull from your, your improv roots is what you have to yes. do and then the writer you just have to say I'm sorry like yes. I'm sorry I didn't memorize my lines <laughs> well, like, writer acting wise it's a really great like practice for like cold reads oh yeah like, and using a teleprompter I yeah, mean like to me like sketch is is now like but also with the experience of being in the Sunday company because the Sunday company was which a lot of people don't you don't when you think about it now it's nuts because like for my shows at the UCB the once a month we'll rehearse three times and we'll do a run through a tech for like a sketch show that's got six sketches in it whereas Sunday company you'll do a two and a half hour show with like 22 sketches and you show up on Sunday at like three and you just rehearse the scenes a couple times and if you have a brand new scene that maybe you wrote on Wednesday and you finally was going in the show on Thursday you get all your outfits for it and then you rehearse it like four times on stage maybe four more like three times on stage on Sunday and then it goes in the show yeah and like doing fries for as long as we did that, that experience to never was crazy to me but like now when I I was, I was thinking about it recently when I was looking at some of the work because I think we had a, a UCB show where we'd only rehearse like twice and people were like really freaked out about it. And were I was they? Like, this is nothing. I was like, yeah. I used to do like a, a Sunday company show. We'd maybe I'd be lucky if my scene got like we would sometimes if a scene was working we wouldn't even rehearse it. That's right. Just, just it was That's in the right. show. Or we, don't, be, we, don't, we don't need to see. Or there be a rewrite by someone else that day and you didn't even know what the rewrite on your own sketch was until you showed yeah. up for the show. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I mean that. You know, that would have probably happened to you more because you yes. weren't at the writers' that, meetings. That's right, yeah. But we would, <laughs> we would, our writers' meetings were notorious at Fry's for like someone presenting an idea. Yeah. And there was something really good, but it just wasn't working. So then you'd have like 12 people giving you notes on what you should do. And if you applied all of those notes, you had this like completely schizophrenic, like gross Frankenstein monster of a sketch that See? never worked. Yeah, so you had to really figure out what to do. <laughs> and Mark was always up in the the Bay Area, and we were down in LA, and so we, his material was probably so mutilated. 
<laughs> Here's what you should do. Yeah. You should make her a clown. Yeah, that's no, right. No, 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 no. Here's what you should do. You should make her president. Okay, president and a clown. <laughs> my, fa- my favorite ones were when I was able to actually get to L.A. and be part of the writer meetings. And then I would suggest these weird things. My favorite one was the narrator scene. Oh, the narrator. The one one where we had this this scene that was just written out. (laughs) It was just these four characters playing cards. And I said, what would happen if we actually had somebody reading the narration? And the stage directions. And the the actors literally didn't do anything except play cards. And it was hilarious. It was it, so weird. It was this, great. This sketch was notorious, too, because it was always everyone was breaking. Yes. It's known as one of the best sketches that Fries has ever done. It the narrator. Na- and at one point, he came out with no pants on, and he was just <laughs> narrating the whole thing with no pants on. Chris Pauly realized that yes. you were... I think one of the things that made it so great was that the actors couldn't keep a straight face. Right. And then it became this really great dance that he would yes. play with the audience and with yeah. us. It just yeah. became this great experience. Yeah. But then when we started getting used to it, we wouldn't break, break as much. So right. he tried to, like, he would not tell us he was going to do this because we did this sketch at other festivals and stuff. And so all of a sudden, like, one week he just came dressed as, like, a chef with no pants on. Yeah. He, had, he like, had an apron an in front. Apron. So the audience didn't around. see that he had no pants on. And, Chris and then, and then the, everyone who was playing cards, all they saw was his bare ass and the audience. And then the reveal was at the very end, he turned around slowly to reveal his bare ass to the <laughs> and, everyone was and he never dying. told us he was doing it. He just did it. Well, Chris, I mean, it worked every time. It always made this really great, like this crazy atmosphere. Of this Chris once re- revealed to me after the, there were like two different versions originally of the. There was the first time they did it, and then the second time. And he told me he says, "I have no idea why this gets laughs. He could not figure out why the sketch was even funny." I remember I saw that the first time when I was going through the growlings and I was like learning how to write a sketch. And I remember watching it and being like, I'm not, I don't understand. This is not what I'm learning. Why is this working so well? You know? And I feel like I'm always looking for that. You know, like even when we come and see these like sketch shows and sketch fest here, it's like I love to be surprised. Yes. I love it. I don't want three beats in a build. Like right, I just yeah. want to blackout. Like please, like surprise me all right that's part one of my interview with kenny and dorian be back to that in just a few minutes but first uh, i wanted to play i've been trying to play more musical comedy like one piece of show and uh, this came up after the last show uh ran into perry kurtz online perry's a comic started in san francisco i've known him for quite a long time and uh, he pops up on the radar once in a while and he got together with a musician and put together this song uh, called Beer and, C- and Cigarettes, and it is on YouTube. Just go to YouTube and type in Beer and Cigarettes. And uh, this went up like three weeks ago, and he's already got almost 950,000 hits as of the uh, the time I'm recording this right now. Uh, so uh, he sent this along after we had our little uh, online uh, exchange, and I am proud to bring it to you. Here's Perry Kurtz and Beer and cigarettes. It's party time. I like drinking beer and smoking cigarettes. Do I like to party? The answer is yes. I like drinking beer and smoking cigarettes. And when it comes to getting down, I am the best. I don't have any rules. Not even one. The only rule I have is... Have fun. I smoke a hundred cigarettes and drink a thousand beers. And that's just in one day. 
Imagine in one year, most people have boring lives with families and jobs. My family is this jacket and my job is to rock. I'm drunk all the time, even during the day. My parents say, get a job. I say, no way. Cause I like drinking beer and smoking cigarettes. Do I like the party? The answer is yes. I like drinking beer and smoking cigarettes. Party is my favorite word. It is the best. I dropped out of school when I was just 14. Cause there wasn't a course on how to party. So I started smoking cigarettes with my mouth. And fingering girls on my parents' couch. My parents said, You can't bring your girls in here. And no more smoking cigarettes and drinking beer. So I said, Get bent. And I got up and left. And I've been smoking and drinking and fingering ever since. That's right. Drinking beer and smoking cigarettes. Do I like to party? The answer is yes. I like drinking beer and smoking cigarettes. My motto is always live your life on the edge. Hey, everybody, are you drunk right now? Hey, everybody, are you smoking cigarettes? Everybody, are you having a good time? Hey, anybody want to get fingered tonight? Drinking beer and smoking cigarettes. Do I like to party? The answer is yes, I like drinking beer and smoking cigarettes. Your parents don't like me because I am a threat. The stuff that makes sketch interesting is not like shock value, but like when it's just like when you've done something that's completely unexpected and in a way that's new and different. I feel like that sketch is like, yeah, I couldn't even tell you to this day why it's so funny, but it just yeah. is. And that's like, I think that's to me is what a good sign of when someone's funny is when because like, you made that suggestion and it was just like well, what if and like that's to me is always you can tell when someone's funny or has good instincts because it's just like you don't have to ask why the answer is just like I think it would be funny yeah yeah let's we just see just what happens what happens I think it'd be funny not like it's it would be funny because it's this right. meta thing where this guy is talking and reading it. It's like, no, it's just, no. I think it'd be kind of funny if we did that. Yeah. And that's how you, in my mind, I always think that that's when you know someone gets it. Let's talk quickly about your um, podcast, Kenny. Uh, and then we'll get into uh, more exciting. The, the movie you guys are almost done putting together yeah. entirely. It's very exciting. But before, so that's a little teaser. Uh, let's talk about uh, Knuckle Sandwich. Knuckle Sandwich at KS Podcast on Twitter. Um, <laughs> oh, I feel so sick to my stomach. Um, that's okay. We been, love the plug. We love the plug. The podcast plug. has been away for about a year um, because we've been focusing on the movie, but it is going to be coming back soon. And it's, uh, it's just comedians talking about sports. And it really loose. It's nothing like we don't have like first and ten or like let's talk about like if there's big news we'll talk about it but it's mostly about like comedians and like their love of sports and most I think the thing I find the most interesting about it is that most most us comedians occasionally you find somebody who is really great at sports but most of us like a lot of people who like sports and maybe played in high school but never were really like 
great, which yeah. is why we became comedians. <laughs> well, that's why you haven't been on the podcast. <laughs> Me too, probably. <laughs> Me too. But no, I think I find interesting is that every they all have. I think comedians tell the best stories. Yeah, like I've had the best like. Stephanie Escajeda told some story about like playing softball and like farting when she was sliding into like the home base or something. Oh my god, that's such a Somebody else, David Phillips, one of the writers for Oprah, her, her old brother, was telling a story about like like trying like playing third uh, outfield in high school and like like couldn't throw the ball. Like had a couple problems just throwing the ball in from the outfield in the game. She's like, and like, and a comedian can always tell that story better than just like, well, I had this one game where I just I couldn't throw the ball home. They yeah. can always make it. Yeah, there's more to it. Because we're all neurotic and weird, and you know we all have issues. And then and there's so. people like Abe Smith who like know so much about sports and yeah. have a lot to say, and are also really talented comedians. Yeah. So it's kind of. Well, plus, I, I just love the title Knuckle Sandwich. It's a great, yeah. uh, great title. So. Thank you. So you can check out the uh, previous episodes of Knuckle Sandwich on iTunes. Yes. Yes. So Absolutely. do that. Uh, but let's uh, spike in my, let's uh, talk about this exciting viewers. movie. Miss Con Movie at, at Miss Con Movie or MissConnectionsMovie.com. Miss, Miss uh, let's see. What's the best way to talk about? It? How about just a uh, elevator pitch for what the story's about first of all? Then we'll get into what what the about uh, about what the uh, production was like. This movie, Miss Connections, is about my character Neil, who is trying it's not to. An well, how, how many lines does elevator pitch remind me? Yeah, it's about a guy who manipulates women on Craigslist misconnections. But we can't say Craigslist. But we don't say Craigslist. Right. Yeah. And about a woman and about a woman who does something similar and how they keep meeting up. Oh, okay. See, there's an elevator pitch. Yeah. That's okay. it. Perfect. Thanks, Perfect. Good job. Good job. So so how did it how did it gestate? How did it come about? What was the what was the thing that made you start um, writing it? What was the thing that made you say we gotta get this thing made? Like it was towards the end of like two thousand and nine. I just I mean I've always I mean I went to film school and had written scripts and had always like I was like, you know what, I really kinda wanna write something again. I was really it was when I was done with Sunday Company and I just started doing mod uh, mod team at UCB and I was like I kinda wanna I was looking for something to do, and then at that time, right around, two, like right around then, I was like, I kind of had this idea for a whole other movie about a guy on his birthday, like, but it's but a whole other idea. I started writing it, and then some friends of ours got into Sundance in 2010 in the, the next competition, which was like for low year. budget competition, and it's a great movie called One Too Many Mornings. You should check it out; it's really, really good. And, um, and they shot this themselves, and I got really interested in, like, okay, I want to write a script, and I want to write it, but I want to write it with the intention of making it. Like, I want to make it, so I want to keep it really simple. So I started watching a lot of, like, mumblecore movies, mm-hmm. like uh, the Foss Brothers, the um, Hugo Lowski, whatever the guy is. I forget his name, uh, Quiet City was one that I really liked. And the thing I noticed about these low-budget movies is that they're about... It's about the relationships, about characters, and keeping it really simple, and keeping the story simple, but keeping the characters and the situations interesting. Yes. So I just sat down and tried to write something that I could put all my friends in. We got so many funny friends, and my wife is hilarious. And we could put her. We could. So I tried to write something really simple, and then I don't know how I came up with this idea, but I just came up with this idea of what if somebody took a, a Craigslist misconnections ad uh-huh. and told the person like responded to the ad saying like yeah I did see you at you know Trader Joe's 
meet me at the coffee shop on like fifth, and then you don't you set the date up and then you go to the date but you sit kind of away and watch this person wait for someone who doesn't show up and then just as they're about to leave you walk over and go I'm sorry were you waiting for someone because you know if it was me I wouldn't have made oh, okay. wait yeah. and so yeah. pick up on these women and I just I don't know my crazy mind came up with that but I remember we had um, he thought of that and he had like three you had like yeah. three ideas. ideas and uh, my cousin Michael Nichols, not Mike Nichols, sure. but Michael A. Nichols. He's a director. Playback at Playback Movie. At, on, <laughs> Kenny and I are in his. Playback oh my god, this is ridiculous. So, um, uh, we were sitting down with him, and you know, we were saying we kind of want to make a movie. Um, we've got some ideas, and he pitched these three movies to Michael, and Michael was like, "I like the Misconnections idea. I think that's really great." And we just kind of went forward from there because. It was it was really nice to hear like someone who I had really admire and who, whose aesthetic and, and taste I really like look to as, as you know an influence. Was like go with this. This, this is great. So how long did it take you to write the first draft? Um, like six months, I think. Cause I'd already written like three months. I'd written like thirty pages of this idea based on this guy on like his thirty second birthday, and I was going to go with this idea of like. Um, being in your 30s and not really wanting to be in your 30s, like still not wanting to be like young, but like not wanting to necessarily be what you think you're supposed to be when you're in your 30s. And so I wrote, and so like that wasn't going as far as I would like it to have gone. And so then I took basically like those 30 pages, added in the Craigslist thing and moose and stuff around, and then it started to really kick. And it took about six months to get, maybe less, maybe like five, and then did a reading with just like four or five people just to hear it out loud and mm-hmm. give some feedback and then did about four or five months worth of rewriting and then in November of 2010 we met with our producer Lisa Rudin who's fantastic and is not on Twitter so I will not mention her Twitter handle and um, pitched the idea we knew she would she'd done some producing she wants to get into producing and so we approached her we about working with us, we know her through um, business people that we know, and uh, she read it and liked it, and that's kind of where, from there, we worked it more. And it's, yeah, it was one of those things where it was like, uh, "Hey Lisa, would you be interested in maybe producing this movie that my husband wrote?" And she was like, "Yeah, I'll read it," you know. And then she read it and didn't give us notes. She's like, "I have a few. I have a few notes." is what she said and we were like okay and we passed it along to um my cousin the director and he, he read it gave some really good notes kenny applied like all the notes did a really solid rewrite we sent the rewrite to lisa before we had gotten her notes and she was like oh i haven't even given you guys my notes but apparently you just applied them all you know oh wow and she, okay she really she really liked the rewrite she liked That's a lot great. of the stuff that you know that kenny had done and and he, she was just like, yeah, I, I, I want to produce this. And through through Lisa, we met Eric Kissack, who's our director. He's an editor. Not Eric Kissack. Oh. <laughs> oh, I want to go take a shower. No, no, it's um, a very important in the I'm realm totally of podcast. <laughs> you plug everything. You know, everyone's on their computer listening to this. That's right. I want to go to Twitter right away and start following these so people. Our, um, she said that she had worked with... Eric on a short film, and um, he is an editor. He edited um, 
Bruno, Cedar Rapids, who's doing the new role models, who's doing the new Sasha Baron Cohen movie, The Dictator. He's very, he's a super talented, amazing editor, and he wanted to foray into directing. I mean, he's very, very talented, and we met with him, we saw his short, and we just kind of, it was one of those things where I was like, Eric, why don't you come over for dinner and we'll just hang out? We're not going to talk about the movie. We're going to sit at dinner and we're just going to hang out with you for a little while. Cause, I mean, if there's <laughs> there's nothing more intimate than making a movie yeah. with someone, yeah, you know. It's like it's your baby. You know, we had you know I'd written it for like a year, been working on it. And you want to make sure that you're going to give it to someone. You want to spend to... time with them. You oh, like absolutely. Them. You, yeah. And he had such amazing insight. Of course, like the Neil ended up like going into talking about the movie, and he had. He, he saw things in the movie that we hadn't seen, which was amazing. And we were like... That always happens. It's we amazing like, how that yeah. happens. Yeah. Somebody else has a completely yeah. different sort of perspective. And from a space that was like, you know? he, he got it. Like, he was already like kind of... His head was already... I tell him now all the time I feel like we're like sharing the same brain because he's like fully... He's fully fallen into the world that was created. Mm-hmm. And he gets it. He gets the world that we had written. And it was just like... Oh, this is a no-brainer. just a pleasure. Yeah. So you guys, you had a uh, Kickstarter campaign to raise yes. some money. Two, Two yeah. of them, yes. Uh-huh. And we, we kind of realized, and now that we're, like, promoting the movie and it's getting into festivals and stuff, um, a friend of ours who does, um, like, movie promotion was like, Here, here's what's interesting about your movie is that it's about the Internet. Yes. It was funded on the Internet. Yeah. And you guys are now promoting it on the Internet. And it's true. Like, we had two Kickstarter campaigns, one for pre-production and shooting and one for post-production. And, um, you know, I don't know how much, how much did we make on Kickstarter. 17000 before... Kickstarter takes their cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. seventeen thousand. Roughly, there was a little bit plus or minus, yeah. like hundred. Yeah, and I mean, I'm gonna say like we put in a lot of our own money too, but it was really amazing because people wanted, they wanted to help, and it was yeah. really like it was happening, yeah. and everyone was like, "Holy cow! Like you guys are really doing well. This is great. How can we help? How can we help?" And ten dollars, twelve dollars, twenty dollars. Now, I have one idea that I just thought of now, which I wish I thought of when you were in production, which is you should have used Craig Newmark as a cameo like they do with Stan Lee for all the Marvel I Comic reached Lord. out to him. Did we you? did. And he, he never responded, responded so we yeah. just kind of... talked to me. Well, Miss Connections is like... You know, I did yes. talk to you about this, I thought. No. I sent him... I think you told me that you, he was fairly reachable. I think yeah. he gave me a couple links. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know we talked about this. So that I think I uh, I reached... I sent him an email. Respond. Yeah. No. And I found, followed him on Twitter. Yeah, he and I sent him a couple of... <laughs> He if he's shy, then he needs to stop tweeting because he tweets like nine thousand times a day. <laughs> a lot of shy people tweet. Anyway, but he, um, yeah, I sent him several messages oh, okay. just to see if we could use Craigslist. Yeah, it's a nonprofit, right? And so, and I'm sure we could have used it, and we probably wouldn't even care. But we just wanted to make sure. I never heard Since back. Since we didn't hear back, oh, we just okay. left the whole Craigslist thing yeah. out. Everyone so knows this connection. Yeah. Internet. We say, yeah. oh, internet On the dates. internet. And yeah. I met this girl on the internet. Yeah. say Craigslist. <laughs> so, so you guys uh, have put together the most most of the production at this point. What's what's left to do? ADR. It's an ADR, and we have one insert shot of my feet. Needs to be shot. <laughs> Thank God for the Canon 7. Do you want to explain ADR for people that don't know? Um, basically, is? there's either there's either some sound issues or we lost sound actually on a couple things. And so to sync it up, you get into a booth and you can time it out exactly to where your lips sync. Your lips sync, and you just you're basically re-recording audio over 
but we actually don't have a lot. Yeah. We, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of like, you know, small low budget things that have had to, you know, do a yeah. lot of stuff in ADR because most low budget things are stealing terrible locations, sound loud locations, yeah. terrible sound. Like our sound is actually great. Like okay. it's crazy, yeah. crazy that we had all these like young people who just wanted to help yeah. and, and they're so qualified. ADR is a chance, incidentally, to get some last-minute rewriting in for yeah. for jokes. Because I mm-hmm. uh, I was able to be in ADR for the Hallmark movies I wrote, and there was a, a few times where the, the character would have his face turned away from the camera long enough you yeah. literally yeah. could change the end of a line. Yeah, yeah, we're doing that. Which was great. Right. He's sending, he's sending me. Uh, I'm getting. I'm going to be getting the newest uh, copy of the film either Monday or Tuesday, and then he apparently has some ideas oh, okay. he wants to go with. It. And I gotta say, we're for a low budget film, which we are. I mean, we're, I mean, we're a low budget film. We were able to get a lot of really amazing stuff. And one of those things is just the fact, just to reiterate, like our director is an editor. So, like a lot of low budget, a lot of independent filmmakers, like post production is a big deal for them because they need to get editing booths, they need to get an editor, they need to have. Whereas. Your guy's our, editing is he shooting? He's fine. Like his, well, we, our his editor, editor was not can, our director, though. See, that's something. No, no, but when you have an editor who, or director who comes from editing, yes. their shooting he becomes knows. much more succinct. He knows, it's like, a I, seamless we don't, we don't need this. We don't need to keep going. I know we're going to be good to hear. And then he knows what he needs. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then it's the access. It's the, like, oh, we don't need to worry about... He can get an ADR booth for a week. Like a friend who's a colorist. Get, like, a friend, a friend, yeah, a friend who's going to do the sound mixing. A friend who's going to, you know like throw our screening here and there I, I I cannot believe the amount of favors that I have called in in the last yeah. year or that all of us have called in in the last year like mm-hmm. I feel like all the IOUs are go- are, are, are like oh my god sure, but <laughs> it, you know so it's, given given the success you guys will hopefully enjoy from this you'll be able to pay it forward and help somebody else out and oh, absolutely and business works we know? kind of felt like that when we were making this movie because there were these moments where we would sit down and we would think about our friends and the people that we've worked with and the people whose talent we just, like, it needs to be showcased. Right. And we would say to ourselves, you know, what what is it that they do so well? Um, like Shane Elliott, who is the, the executive producer for Fries on the side, you know, Kenny wrote him a part that is so Shane and he is so fantastic in our movie and it's like it just allowed everyone to be the best version of themselves and it's not like they're just in some dinky you know internet video it's it's a legit movie we shot on a f-35 like it looks beautiful it's well done everyone is the best that they can be that's great so what what are the the plans for getting it out there uh, we're just hitting the festival circuit. We've, we've, we're most likely, unless we hear from Tribeca fairly soon, we're most likely to be premiering at the Cleveland International Film Festival. We're in the uh, the American Independence competition. Okay. So that will be our premiere, and then we're just applying and applying and applying and applying to the festivals. It's like applying to college yeah. all over again. It feels like <laughs> it because it costs as much as applying to college. Oh, wow. okay. <laughs> and then and then like you get these responses, and it's like woohoo or boo. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. You know, Talking to you, Phoenix Film Festival. <laughs> we really, like, you know, it's really exciting, and, and I'm, we're super grateful for all of these opportunities because it's like, wow, people actually want to see this movie. Like, yeah. It's not it's not just some, we're not the only ones who like it. It's really helpful to know that. <laughs> That's great. 
And uh, how else are we promoting it? I don't know. I should start making well, phone calls, I guess. Well, it's going to be ramping up soon. Yeah. I mean, we have the website, MissConnectionsMovie.com, but there'll be, there'll be a trailer soon. We're going to be doing some different things on the interweb. Some, some savvy guerrilla marketing. Yeah. Okay, good. Some social media well, yeah, stuff. The end game is, you know... <laughs> I mean, I think with any, I mean, obviously, every... I've got a few suggestions for you. I'm ready. Way, I mean, let's... I'm a bit let's, of a social media PR guy. Let's do this, Mark. Well, I'm not here. I'm not going to give these away on the uh, <laughs> podcast. On the podcast? Let's surprise them. No, no. Well, you could. You could, but no. So, uh, I'll talk to you about it. Yes. Yeah, I'm ready. It's, we're, we're really, it's, it's, we're at this place where it's about to really get crazy. Like, this is just about the calm before the storm. Sure. Because we have about a month and a half before we premiere, and... And it's just going to be crazy time all yeah. over the world with this movie. And if speaking to all you festivals, because I know you have a large festival following on the <laughs> podcast, um, if you want to fly us there, we'll come. Okay. Well, that's Straight interesting. Up. We're learning a lot about like about festivals and a lot of the international ones. They would only get people if they flew them out. Oh so, yeah. You know. You know. Yeah, we'll go. We're, we're we'll go wherever. Yeah, Dubai. Yeah. Here we come. Switzerland. <laughs> There's one in Switzerland we're yeah. flying to. Hong Kong, Hong Berlin. Kong, Berlin, Venice. All right. So the movie's misconnections. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, any, uh, you think there'll be a chance that the title will change? Sometimes no. that happens. No. no. Okay. Good. It's it's a good title. I mean, if it Thanks. changed, it yeah. would be something because. That's Mark he did the man who named the Blackberry approves the title. Yes. And the Swiffer. Here, here, here. Approved. And the Saturn View, which is an out of uh, car. <laughs> that's, that's right, still. Right. Well, guys, thanks for taking the time. I know you got to head back to L.A., but it was great to visit with Mark, you and have you on Succotash. And uh, uh, hopefully I'll see you guys in L.A. Uh, for one of the premiere showings of the fi- finished movie. Yes. Can't wait. Yes, absolutely. And we will be in, for all your listeners who are, you know, We'll hope to be at least in one of the festivals up here. Sure, San Francisco or Mill Valley, yeah. And then we hope to be in uh, one in L.A. as well. Terrific. For all the L.A. listeners of the podcast. All right, so Dorian Davis and uh, Kenny Stevenson, thank you for being on Succotash. And have a safe trip back to L.A. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That is going to do it for our chat with Kenny Stevenson and Dorian Davis. I want to thank thank them for uh, sitting with me uh, in... uh, Washington Square Park when they were here in San Francisco, and do be on the lookout for their movie, Missed Connections. Uh, I've not seen it yet, but they've promised me that I will get to see it when I next go to Los Angeles, and it will be showing up. It's already been booked in a number of film festivals, so keep an eye out for it. Again, that's Missed Connections. Uh, Look for it online. I think they have a website, and they should have a trailer up by now as well, so take a look for that. All right, we've got a couple of more clips before we get out of here. Uh, first up is uh, the Anti-Semantic Show. I uh, played these guys before, and I've re- run into Rich Pinder, one of the four assholes with microphones, as they call themselves, when we were doing a roundtable discussion uh, about podcasts um, over on Comedy Agogo. And I'm going to have Rich on here, actually, before too long. Anyway, here's a, uh, a clip of uh, the four assholes now. And uh, enjoy the anti-semantic show, won't you? (laughs) Also, because they portrayed the wolves as man-eaters in the movie, whereas in real life they wouldn't attack a man. Meanwhile, they had an expert tell people, to educate people what to do if a wolf is coming at you. Oh, go menace the wolf. Menace at it, you know, and then maybe it won't bite you. Meanwhile, they're trying to defend the wolves as not harmful to man. Are if you, you have me? to if you have to run at something and scream at it 
and maybe even fight it. You well, know, I mean, it, it depends is, on the scenario. Okay. If you're like lost in the in a snowy area and you're weak because of the of you being there for a long time, a it's, wolf is gonna think about taking right. a run at you because you're there. It's, and you're, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's winter. There's there's a lack of game in winter. Noted. Because of the fact that animals hibernate and shit like that. And you're probably so cold there's a lack shit, of game. Yeah. So now you're weakened, you're in a weakened state, and a pack of wolves happens upon you. They're gonna go and you're going to say that they're not going to attack a man? That's, what, maybe they, that's they should, what the experts say. Maybe they should have to... Ex- maybe I can see if they're like, they didn't explain that at all in the movie. Okay, well, they didn't, but I that's fucking logic. The only thing I would do in that, I would run masturbating at the wolves. Because that's the only <laughs> thing I would do. Because it's the only thing I can think of that would possibly freak them out. <laughs> Because what else can you do? I'm just they might think you're on their own. <laughs> now, I, I, would oh, you? We got to bring that guy in. Would you? Mas- would you like start masturbating while you run? See, or the would problem you, is, I'd would have... you start beforehand and then, as you're about to climax, run at them and shoot them? I'd have the to eye. work on get myself worked up before. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't shoot at them. I would work myself up though before I got involved. See, I feel like if you, you know. if you came on the wolf. <laughs> yeah. Well, he you know. would, oh god! He Who know, says I never did that? He would know who's boss. Well, no, I. I Who says John Murray's <laughs> never come on a walk? <laughs> Who said it? Whoever Who said, said it that is full of shit. Yeah, yeah, you're full of shit. Is right. <laughs> Fuck you, man. John Moody's come to several wolves. Lots of wolves. And, and no, no John Moody used to volunteer at zoos to come on wolves. They didn't even have wolves, and I still came he on still them. He still came on them. I still came on them. Oh. Just come on pictures of wolves and show them to, to pedestrians as they walk by in the yeah. zoo. I came on that. It's a wolf. <laughs> And oh. this episode name has, has shown on John Moody coming on wolves. <laughs> I'm coming on wolves. Uh, yo, I said hey, I would masturbate picture the menacing, Duran. you know? I didn't say I'd come no. on. Is the anyone gets it? The art is a picture of Duran Duran with a load on it. <laughs> oh, coming on a wolf. I'm busting him down and I'm busting on the wolf. Jesus Christ. So, we went there. Thank you, everyone. That happens. In, uh, what episode is this? I'm sorry. 88. 88. We talk about coming on wolves. <laughs> well, what about... Uh, why can't you just do that on most wildlife? <laughs> like, who does it? Why does Caesar... It would be hard to come on a giraffe. That should be a show. Like, if uh, Bam Majera wants to be famous again, he should just come on animals. <laughs> <laughs> it should be like... Viva la come on animals. <laughs> Well, apparently, apparently. Well, I'm wondering, I'm wondering why Caesar, uh, the dog whisperer, is wasting his time with all this whispering. But he could be coming. He just walked in and come on your animal. See, the beautiful thing is, it. the PETA people can't actually say that you're harming the animals because you're not doing anything to them. That They'd just be like, oh, look, come. And they, 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 like, they would be like, oh, well, that's... They actually, you know, they'll, actually look, if, uh, they'll actually look it up. Yeah, they will. I mean, they're I not going to yeah. complain. <laughs> all right. Uh, (laughs) Maybe I should stop them from sending in their own clips and try and find stuff from their show myself. Uh, Find them at anti.libsyn.com. Also on iTunes. Speaking of guests, by the way, uh, I've been chatting with Jabs from the D-Head Factor in Australia. And I think we're going to try a co-hosting experiment in another couple of epis here. Uh, I'm going to send him some of the clips I'm going to play, and then he's going to find some clips of shows he likes and send them to me. We'll listen to each other's clips, and then we'll get together on Skype, and we'll do an episode of Succotash with him as my co-host, and we'll talk about the clips. But we'll be doing it from half a world apart. 
Uh, and then if he wants to uh, play that as part of uh, the D-head factor down under, that's perfectly okay with me. In fact, I want to thank Jabs and the guys because they've been actually featuring some of my past Succotash episodes um, on their weekend uh, play down in, um, down in Australia. So that's fantastic. So thank you. Uh, next up, we have uh, another trip back to uh, the UK. And this is uh, two guys, Snitch and Linz, the duo of Michael Snitch and Lindsay Price. Now, I don't know too much about these guys. I've just become acquainted with them. But I do know that this clip I'm playing is from their episode 30. Uh, so they're, they've got 10 more episodes than we do on Succotash. So they've got to know at least that much. Check this out. Snitch and Linz. We're driving in to the studio on the way here. Yeah. And uh, we saw an accident. We did. We did so next. Something happened. It was. Yeah. A di- it wasn't that huge. It was a dingle, though. Yeah, it was, you know, a small little prank. Like we saw that everyone was okay. That's fine. Well, all good. That's all good. Wasn't any ambulances involved? No, right. wasn't serious. Yeah, that's what we're trying to get at here. That's yeah. pretty much it. Yeah, sure. Just, just so it happens. Yeah, when we're driving past, we did a bit of a the old rubberneck. We, <laughs> we, gave, it, we gave it a good old rubberneck and didn't okay, we? we slowed down. We, we were the shit. An accident. We may have well been stopped for the accident. Yeah. Because we did stop next to the- <laughs> We may have actually caused a couple more accidents because of the amount that we were rubbernecking. We may have wound down our windows and gone, what's happening here? Yeah, what's what's going on? <laughs> did you guys have an accident? Did you- <laughs> Don't you guys lie to me. Did something go on here? I feel there's something going on here. <laughs> uh, there is a smash in the back of your car. There is a smash in the front of your one. Ipso facto. There, there are no happy faces. No- Thank you. I've now rubber necks. This is this is how it goes. Oh, then we sped off. Yeah, <laughs> and we we got into a discussion after this of how much we love a good rubber neck. We love a rubber neck. And Lindsay, I feel that it is it is something universal that all humans do it. All humans love a good rubber neck. Everyone loves a rubber neck. It's the accident. It's just the main one. Yeah. Everyone has an accident. Everyone has to slow down. Yeah. Everyone's got a rubber neck. Everyone's got a rubber neck. Everyone's got to see what's there happening. Is, there is like thirty or forty people back. They're already rubbernecking at the the accident before oh, yeah. they even get to it. That's just enough time for them to upload the camera on their iPhone, exactly. take pictures. That's the next level of oh. rubbernecking. Let's With go- these iPhones now, everyone's rubbernecking. Everyone's got. You can actually rubberneck from <laughs> YouTube of someone that has filmed an accident. You can rubberneck online. We should start a website called Rubberneck is Anonymous. <laughs> we just upload pictures of accidents that you've driven past. And not stop the help. Don't stop the help. I, want to I need the karma. I'm sorry, have you not rubbernecked before? You do not stop in a rubberneck, okay? That you film them and watch rules. their tears. Exactly. <laughs> oh, if you get tears. That's like 100 rubberneck oh. points. Right All right. Find those fine fellas at snitchandlins.com on iTunes. And there's even some video of them up on Facebook. So just look for Snitch, just like it sounds, and Linz, L-I-N-S, uh, on, on um, YouTube. And you can see them uh, in living color. We are uh, at the end of our Succotash serving aisle, lane, row, whatever this is. Uh, which brings us up to uh, Burst O'Durst time with comedian Will Durst. And here he's talking about his tale of two Romneys. Hey guys, Will Durst here to say it was a wild week of mixed messages for Mitt Romney, who cruised to an easy victory in the Arizona primary, but barely eked out a squeaker in Michigan. That's the problem with having 12 different home states, you're bound to slip up somewhere. 
Rick Santorum was on track to pull off an upset, but couldn't help his self-righteous self, curiously calling contraception Satan's scalpel. What's the strategy here? Get women so riled up he can make a case to repeal the 19th Amendment? The Ayatollah Rick went on to inelegantly state that one of JFK's speeches made him want to puke. Sounds like he's not pinning all his Super Tuesday hopes on taking the great state of Massachusetts. <laughs> you know, I saw JFK when I was a kid. I heard JFK speak, and you, Mr. Santorum, are no JFK. Romney keeps complaining the media makes him sound like an out-of-touch rich guy. Jeez, I wonder where they could have ever gotten that idea from. Maybe when the Mittmeister went to the Daytona 500 and ridiculed spectators for their cheap plastic rain ponchos, or when he said he's not an ardent NASCAR fan, but is friends with a couple of the team owners. Romney is beyond clueless. He's the anti-Sherlock Holmes. Oh, sure he has the looks, the money, the staff, and the super PACs. And yet you could find more enthusiasm for drawn melted butter at a convention of four-pound lobsters. His wife, Ann Romney, also known as Lovey, kiddingly said she wants to strangle the press. She also suggested that Mitt sit down and let her do the talking. Then again, maybe she should just let sleeping dogs lie, or strap the sleeping dogs to the top of one of her couple of caddies where they belong. For Succotash, the podcast of comedy podcasts, I'm Will Durst. Thank you, Will Durst, for supplying us with the Burst O Durst. You can find Will at willdurst.com. He's also tweeting it up at Will Durst on Twitter, at Will Durst. And uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Succotash. I promise, unless something goes horribly wrong, that the next episode, Epi 21, will be along much, much sooner. Uh, it'll take a lot less time than this one took to put together for various reasons. Until next time, please remember to pass that Suckatash. You've been listening to Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast with your host, Mark Hershon. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants. And imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuccotashShow.com or at Suckatash Show on iTunes and even at Suckatash Show on your smartphone Stitcher app. Follow Suckatash on Twitter at Suckatash Show. Friend Suckatash on Facebook. Email us at marc at SuckatashShow.com or just pick up that phone and give Suckatash a ring at 1-818-921-7212. Suckatash is produced and engineered by Joe Paulino at Studio P. Sausalito, home of the hit. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durges. Until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please... Pass the succotash.